Welcome back to Eldritch Girl. This is going to be chapter 10 of The Crows. The Crows is copyrighted, all rights reserved to CM Rosens, and you can buy it via any ebook retailer. You can get the paperback from Amazon, um, and you can buy the ebook directly from my Kofi shop as well, which is kofi.com forward slash CM Rosens. Content warnings for chapter 10 include fire. <laughs> um, Physical health deterioration uh, and Ricky Porter. Good luck. Chapter 10. Brain fever. In which Carrie is unwell and Ricky starts a fire. 28th of April. As the moon waxed, Fairwood fell into a quiet stupor. The voices quieted in Carrie's head, rooms whispering less and less. On Friday, she woke up with what she thought was the beginnings of a head cold, but by Saturday it was more like the flu. The flowers in the hall filled the house with a sickly fragrance, and Carrie couldn't summon the energy to get rid of them. She still went to work, groggy and full of lemsip, and gnawing in her bones. Saturday was a busy shift. She struggled to swipe products, her shoulder burning with effort, wondering who the hell needed six litres of bleach, a roll of duct tape, a box of matches and seven refills of lighter fluid. Her arm dropped with relief as the harassed young mother packed her own bags and handed them to identical curly-haired twins, barely tall enough to peep over the conveyor belt. Carrie wondered if there was a helpline or something you were supposed to call, but her sinuses were full and her eyelids heavy and she couldn't bring herself to care. Have a lovely day, she said, and the twins gave her identical blank stares over their shoulders as they left the shop. Primary colours flared in her vision. Too many, too bright. Mercy's vanilla perfume throbbed in her sinuses as she slipped behind her. You look rough. Do you want to go home? Carrie shook her head. See how I am. Take these. Mercy handed her some painkillers, and Carrie could have kissed her. She took two with a quick gulp from her water bottle stowed under the checkout, but it took another two customers before her hands were steady and her headache had started to subside. Only three hours to go. I need the money. It was getting quieter. Not long now. Nice and easy end to the shift. Watch your neighbour. Carrie looked up. Oh, no. In the raw strip lighting of the supermarket, Ricky Porter cut a far less intimidating figure. Slight enough to slide by taller, bigger men, it was harder to see why anyone would take him seriously, but a few seemed more afraid than indignant. Ricky Porter was clearly a well-known figure in town for all the wrong reasons. Excuse me, till's closing, there we go, he muscled up to the end of the checkout, pocketing a bag of tobacco and a lighter he'd lifted from their rightful owner. Till isn't closing, Carrie muttered, scanning items through. Give those back. Ricky sniffed, jumping onto the plastic bag pile and sitting on them. He eyeballed the bigger man he'd taken the tobacco from. Smoking will kill you, Frank. Doing you a favour. You can come and take him back if you want. Had a lot of fun last time, didn't we? The big man visibly paled under his beard. He mumbled something and ducked out of the line to the back of the next queue, even though it was longer. Carrie glanced at the super-priced security guards who were keeping an eye on their unwelcome patron, but making no move to do anything about him. Her current customer, a tall, middle-aged woman in heels, had backed up against the next checkout, gripping her purse tight to her chest. If Ricky hadn't been sat on the end of the checkout, he wouldn't be able to look her in the eye. "'Why are you still working?' Ricky asked Carrie conversationally, 
as if the queue he'd jumped didn't exist. You look like shit. He looked around for corroboration and his eyes lit on a terrified Rachel in lane four. Don't she? Rachel nodded, sinking down in her seat. He dipped his hood in satisfaction. See? I'm fine. That's £17.63, and pence, please. The lady handed her a note with trembling fingers. Security approached a few paces, but Ricky shot them a look, and they thought better of it. The only sound was the background music playing at half volume through the shop. Here's your change, Carrie said, her own voice ringing in her ears over the chirpy strains of the chart music. She counted it out and handed it over. Have a nice day. She turned to the next people in the line. Hello. They had scooped their items off the belt and were scurrying to the end of the next line. I'm not here to make trouble, Ricky announced to the world at large. Can't a man go to the supermarket any more? Mr Porter, you know you technically shouldn't be here, Pauline ventured from a safe distance, appearing from the freezer aisle. She raked manicured nails through her long grey hair. You were banned last month, remember? I'm sorry the other gentleman was rude to you, but you can't do things like that, not in the shop. Ricky glared at her. Yeah, well, it's a new month now, ain't it? Carrie folded her arms as her customers disappeared. What the hell is wrong with you? I just want these. Ricky waved a pack of sugar-free mints at her. Do you want to get to the back of the queue? What queue? Ricky gestured at her abandoned checkout. Ring them up, there's a love. Carrie snatched them with bad grace and swiped them through. How are you paying today? Paying? Ricky snorted. You're funny. You're an arsehole, Carrie returned, prickles of embarrassment surging over her face. Her words rang into tense silence. Sixty pence, please. Nobody moved. The ones who had no idea what was going on were smart enough to know it was nothing good, and the ones who did were not about to intervene. The other two cashiers were frozen at their tills. Carrie glanced over her shoulder and saw Rachel's mask of horror. She's Katie Porter's friend, Carrie's inner voice reminded her. She must know the family pretty well, and look at her face. Ricky cleared his throat, grinning broadly, savouring all the attention. With exaggerated care, he produced the exact change and handed it over. Half of it was in coppers. Carrie groaned inwardly and let him tip the jingling fountain of coins into her cupped hands, glaring at him. You're doing this on purpose, she muttered. Just shopping, he replied loudly over his shoulder, more for the benefit of the security guards. How are you getting back? Bus. Carrie pinched the bridge of her nose, a flower of colour flashing in her peripheral vision. The headache blossomed back. She ain't well, Ricky announced. She'll get paid anyway, right? You tosser, Carrie thought. Yeah, 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 of course, Pauline stuttered. She's worked the whole shift, Mr Porter, of course she has. Carrie heard murmurs of agreement. Carrie, are you okay? Mercy sidled up as close as she dared. Ricky fixated on Mercy and grinned like a fox who had learned to open a cage of battery hens. Hello again, love, he leered in a passable Cockney accent. What's your number? Mercy blanched. Ricky sniggered, digging Carrie in the ribs. Even if you put them through a wood chipper, they stay conscious for fucking years. She's my friend, Carrie muttered into the hood, trying not to broadcast it to the whole supermarket. Back off. All right, bloody hell, calm down. Have a mint. Ricky offered her the foil tube. Carrie pushed it away. I'm going to go home, she told Mercy, realising Ricky wasn't going to leave of his own accord. Please don't sack me.
Yeah, don't sack her, Vicky said louder. She's getting paid for the whole day, right? Mercy nodded. Go home. I can give you a lift. He shook his head. Nah, I'll take her. We're good neighbours together, ain't we, Mistress Rickard? She'll be all right with me. He stepped back, not touching her, and Carrie stumbled for the door. As you were, folks, don't let us keep you. The beep of items began before the murmur of conversation, but by the time Carrie was out into the street, it had become a buzz of gossip. The cover at work was blown. Everybody in town would hear about this in 60 seconds flat. That checkout girl, she's the one who bought the crows. She knows Ricky Porter. Carrie fumed. She really couldn't fit in here. On the other hand, he'd wangled her a half shift at full pay. Swings and roundabouts, her inner voice shrugged. Ricky kept his distance, letting her lead the way to the bus stop. Carrie looked back a few times to see if he was still following, but he was always there, a few paces behind, a faceless figure in grey. She flopped onto the bench, already feeling better for the fresh air. He joined her, keeping a gap between them, and they sat in awkward silence for a few minutes. After a while, Ricky's filthy, acid-burnt fingers emerged from his pocket with his packet of mints and a waft of something unpleasant. Have a mint. No, thanks. La-dee-da. Paid for him, didn't I? Oh, for fuck's sake. She gave in and took one, fiddling with a foil around the tightly packed tube, popping the mint into her mouth. They sat for a few minutes in moody silence. You look rough, he said eventually. Carrie levered herself stiffly off the bench as the bus came into sight, tensed muscles protesting. I'm fine. Nah, you're not. I can see that without casting bones. Her phone chose that moment to ring. Carrie glanced at the screen. Shit. She hit reject, the unsaved number sending a shockwave through her sensitive stomach, head swimming. Not Phil again, not now, please not now. The dreaded happy ping of her voicemail alert made her turn the phone off and push it deep into her pocket. Ricky tilted his head. Best mate? Carrie snorted. It's nothing you'd be interested in. Ricky shrugged. Sue yourself. He waited. It's... I don't even know where to start. My ex is an arsehole and apparently he's coming down here because he wants money off me that I haven't got. She stared at the bus further down the road, waiting at the traffic lights. Do you owe him the money? What? No. Carrie fiddled with her handbag strap. He wants, like, £500. Might as well be the moon. Even if I did owe it, he can't have it. He's probably in debt to the bookies again. They beat the shit out of him once. They aren't proper bookies, you know. They're dodgy blokes down the pub he goes to. They'll let you bet on two flies crawling up a wall as long as you pay up. Ricky considered her for a moment. Bloody hellfire, and I thought our Layla was full of drama. Is that your sister? Carrie asked, doubtful. She couldn't picture Ricky with siblings. Nah, cousin. I'm a rare beast. The only, only child since 1879. A hint of bitterness soured the pride. The bus finally made it to their stop at a reluctant crawl. It stopped and its doors opened, and before Carrie could protest, Ricky had hooked his arm under hers and hoisted her in with him. The smell of stagnant water wafted from his tracksuit's unhappy fibres. Two for Redditch Lane. The driver, a young man not long out of school, took one look at his passenger and nodded. Ricky bundled a protesting Carrie towards the back with a smirk, pushing her purse back down into her handbag. For a man so close to her own height and build, she thought, what he lacked in physical size he made up for in bossy determination. Like the glory days, he whispered in her ear, 
minty freshness masking the underlying moisture reek of warm dog food. Carrie held her breath until he bumped her into a window seat and plopped next to her, tracksuit giving off another stale waft in the process, and stretched his legs out in the aisle. Carrie rubbed her nose, breathing through her fingers, head foggy. I've never not paid for a bus ticket. You haven't lived, love. Ricky turned away from her, and there was a movement under the hood at the back of his head. Carrie stared, but it squirmed once more and then was still. What are you going to do about this dickhead, then? I don't know. Carrie rubbed her arms. I don't want to see him. I don't want him anywhere near me. Ricky dug in his pockets and produced the pilfered pack of tobacco containing some filters and crisp white paper. Can I make a suggestion? he asked, starting to roll a cigarette on his thigh. Carrie nodded, suspicious but game. You tell him exactly what you said to me. Tell him he's an arsehole and he can piss right off. If he starts something, you're not on your own, are you? Apart from pixie dust there at the supermarket, that house of yours will give him a right bannocking if he tries anything in there. He lifted his head and lifted an eyebrow, treating her to a not unattractive angle. Oh, and me, of course, if you ask nice. Carrie couldn't help but smile, watching him expertly compensating for the bumps in the road as the bus trundled them through the town in a stop-start-stop-start of traffic lights. Don't suppose you could give me a hand, could you? She asked without thinking. It was the sly smile and ruby gleam as he slid her a slow glance that made her remember what he did. I kill people and eat bits of them. Oh, God, no, not like that, she blurted out, whipping her head around to stare out of the window. No, I didn't mean that. Ricky's shoulders shook. <laughs> yeah, you did, deep down. Carrie raked her nails up and down her arm until Ricky tapped her hand. She knotted her fingers in her lap. He leaned into her ear, his breath hot and wet on her earlobe. You really want me to help? You ask me again. We'll come up with something. I mean, I've already declared my vested interest. Carrie shivered, but he didn't seem to notice. He didn't budge as the bus started to fill up, his legs still stretched in the aisle. Passengers had to practically climb over him to get at the seats behind, but most of them bunched miserably in the front so they wouldn't have to. It made her think of the reaction in Superprice. Her response to him was such a contrast that it was no wonder she was attracting baffled, hostile stares by extension. It must be like watching a suburban cat lady who had wandered into a jungle and wrapped a man-eating tiger on the nose of the newspaper while all round them its victims screamed and groaned and tried to reload. Carrie gave him a sideways glance. Do you care about anyone else at all? I bet you don't even smoke, do you? He scoffed. Don't be daft. Of course I don't smoke. It's not for me. A middle-aged woman, overladen with shopping, nearly tripped over his ankle, and Ricky gnashed his teeth at her as she clambered into a free seat, pale and profusely apologetic. "'You're a bit of an asshole, aren't you?' Carrie remarked, watching him. He tucked the rolled cigarette behind his ear and gave her a clumsy wink. "'Just your type, by the sounds of it.' "'Oh, my God, you are flirting!' This time Ricky grinned. "'Don't flatter yourself.' It came out oddly rehearsed, as if he had read up on plausible responses since the last time and memorised one of them. Carrie managed to grin back. Careful, she said. People might think we're mates. Ricky stared at her, the ruby red fading from his eyes. Finally, he muttered, No, of course not. This is about me getting in that house, that's all, like I told you. He pressed the bell, swinging himself upright and offering her a gallant hand like a Victorian gentleman. Carrie noted the other passengers, 
a total of five now, and she was almost sure some of the others had alighted a few stops early, were taking pains not to look in their direction. The only exception was the middle-aged woman with her shopping piled on the next seat, but her nervous darting looks jutted away out of the window when Carrie caught her eye. The bus slowed, reaching their stop, and Ricky was blocking her way with his outstretched hand. Carrie took it reluctantly, their stop lurching towards them. Ricky's fingers closed over hers, spring-loaded and tight. He pulled her up in a fluid movement and released her to swing his way down to the front. Carrie watched him squeezing out before the doors had opened all the way. Carrie stumbled down the aisle in his wake, shooting the driver an apologetic look. Thanks. He didn't acknowledge her, eyes fixed forward on the road. She hopped down and the bus jolted away. You still look like shit, Ricky said, hands in his pockets. Carrie swallowed. If I ever lie down, I'll feel better. I'll walk you home, shall I? Show your lovely abode I'm a trustworthy sort of neighbour, right? Got you off work and everything. Carrie was too bone-tired to argue. Yeah, okay. He kept his distance, and Carrie willed herself to stay upright, feet floating somewhere below her on the dark tarmac road. The neighbour was due to die in 15 days, and he still hadn't got what he wanted. Fairwood's aura repelled him again. He had tried his luck at the back fence to no avail. His farsight was almost totally gone, and for the first time in a long time, he was anxious. What if the weird was not as immutable as it ought to be? What if it was fixed for everyone else, but not for him? He'd seen a single magpie on a branch that morning, black and white feathers ruffled in moody silence. One for sorrow, that's how the rhyme goes. The crows had mobbed it, chasing it off in a flurry of feathers, dropping a scrap of thin, paper-lined foil on the ground, the kind used in sweets packaging. Without his farsight, that omen was hard to interpret. Should he have gone into town at all? He could feel the threads of his weird constricting around him, warp and weft, trapping him like a fly. The town made him feel like that too, claustrophobic amid the concrete. He hadn't been in for a long time. He didn't like the noise, the pavements, the traffic, the people. He hated the buildings and the loud accents that had no business there. Not as bad as his mother, who considered Hampshire foreign and classed anything above Winchester as the North. He glanced over his shoulder at her, hand in his pocket gripping the tube of mints, rubbing his thumb over the protruding foil at one end. She looked rough. Every step was stilted, slow. There were tiny purple pinpricks all around her eyes, covering her eyelids in a rash of burst capillaries. Her lips were paler than they ought to be for a breathing woman. He'd seen healthier-looking corpses. Oh, yeah, I need another one of those, promised Gerald. What about that older woman on the bus? He went towards the main gates of Fairwoods, Carrie's shoulder grazing her front wall. Bloody hell, love, Ricky said, put in mind of the rising season. Climbed out the wrong side of the grave this morning, did you? She didn't crack a smile this time. Ricky wondered if she was feeling too ill for that, or if he'd made the wrong joke. A tingling in his extremities, the greasy static of live electricity in the air, set him on high alert. His belly gurgled, sloshed, as he peered down the drive. He pressed his hand to it, feeling the bulges within writhe and settle. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. He licked his lips, tasted the air. Fairwood wasn't herself, he felt it plainly. He gave the gate an experimental tap. It stung but didn't burn. You should let me in, he advised the iron. 
You're both under the weather, ain't you? I can help, you know I can. Never trust a porter. Not one of his thoughts, he knew them too well. How very dare you? I'd be number honest. Let him through, his neighbour said, favours bestow on her, stumbling up to the gates and pushing them open. Touching her didn't make his skin crawl as much as it had the first time, although it still wasn't comfortable. He hoped he hid it well. He hooked his arm under hers so Fairwood had no choice but to admit them together. The gate creaked open a fraction, but still needed a push. She ain't well either, Ricky said out loud this time, meaning the house. He wondered if his neighbour had noticed. They got to the front door where she dropped her keys. The smell was stronger now. What was that? Licorice. Treacle. Gangrene? Something floral. He knew what was going to happen before she stepped inside, but it was gratifying to have an intuitive guess proven right, showing he didn't need farsight for everything. He could have guessed earlier, maybe, but there was always next time. Caroline Rickard got through her front door and passed a pretty floral display of pinks and dark purples, gave a wheezing gasp and collapsed on the tiles. It was fascinating to watch. She crumpled, every joint loosening at once, tumbling in a heap the way Gerald did, a bag of bits and bones. Unlike Gerald, who never made a sound, she continued to wheeze, each breath building to the gurgling death rattle he loved best of all, but he couldn't let her do that, not now, or the house would never let him in again. Besides, if she croaked here on the hall floor, he'd have to bury her in the chase somewhere if he wanted to carry on being neighbours. That wouldn't be any good. The chase was the first place they searched for missing persons and dead bodies, predictable as the warrant they served him with as regular as with as regular as a season ticket. Ought to invite us to the policeman's ball, Detective Inspector, the amount of time your lot spend around our place. Mum'd love to get dressed up for something. No, no good having Caroline Rickard die yet. And anyway, it wasn't her time. Ricky sighed. He scooped up the floral arrangement in both arms, cradling it like an infant, and, with the finesse of shot putting a baby, threw it out of the door. The lilies bruised their delicate petals, roses bending and snapping on impact. Ricky gave it a stern look, and it obediently burst into flames. Smoke pearled upwards, all the colours of a dark rainbow. Hair of the dog what bitten, he muttered, playing with the dialectic tense to amuse himself. He could still hear her wheezing behind him in the hall, fighting for air. That was all right. There was time. Ricky strolled over to the burning bouquet, sniffing deeply. Yeah, it was gangrene, that's it, little frisson of it there. Knew I recognised her. He squatted down, jabbing at the shriveled lilies with his bare finger. Sorry about Janet, Gran. This your little vengeance, or is it something else? What'll she let out into the world that you want staying put? He scooped up the ashes in his hands, hawked and spat, and turned back to the porch and his stricken neighbour. Naz is for your fine abode, not for you. He jogged back up the steps as she tried to ask for help, rolling onto her front and reaching for the open door, choking on the words. You don't want to know where these hands have been. The house wasn't too keen either. He felt the resistance as he pressed his sticky palms to the doorframe, stabbing splint across into his skin. Oh, come on now, don't be putting on airs. Take your medicine. He rubbed both palms down the frame and scraped the ashy mess off onto the door itself. There, see how you go with that. Now then. Fairwood let him in. All business now, he gripped his neighbour under her arms, dragging her down the hall into the long, empty dining room she never used. 
he dropped her unceremoniously, stepping over her gasping torso in a quest for chalk. Like a fish, ain't she? Just like how they suffocate up on the bank, juicy things. Going to have to get your clothes off, he warned her. This bit's tricky. He thought she was going to protest, but she did as she was told, or attempted to. Her arms were uncooperative, struggling with her uniform as she burned up in a flush of fever, still gasping for proper breaths. Ricky rolled his eyes. Don't panic, I'll do it. Bloody hell, wait there. Her wheezing was easing now, but he had no way of knowing how advanced the curse was. Could always ask her, of course. This one's still alive. When did you get the flowers? he asked, not used to Gran's victims answering back. The... the... Thursday... Two days ago, she'd be dead as dust if it wasn't for the house taking it in as well. Gran didn't factor that in, did she? Losing a touch, the daft old bint. Ricky started to hum an atonal improvisation around a sparrow's song. He stripped her with his usual efficiency, marvelling at how much easier it was when they cooperated. Her bare body made little impression on him. He noted the darker veins, joined by a network of blue arteries as the skin turned translucent like tracing paper. He could see through several layers of the dermis, which wasn't a good sign. Here we go, he muttered. No chalk, so I'll have to improvise. He crushed the mints in his fist, feeling the foil and paper split. His muscles bulged iron firm when he did that, eliciting a shy smirk of accomplishment. He liked this body, its proportions, its capabilities. He liked honing it, improving it, sculpting it. He would like what was underneath just as much. Sprinkling the mint dust in a rough circle around her, he said, I know you'd be asking questions right now if you could, so this is what I'm up to. It's a basic containment, you can knock one up with anything. Use a sharpie if you want, it's all the same. But I like the feel of powder, so that's my preference. He sniffed, dusting off his hands and pulled the hood down. To be honest, it don't actually achieve much, I just like a circle for working in. Tradition, superstition, call it what you will. His back lips parted and champed, tendrils ready to, ta to taste the open air. They wormed upwards, tickling his vertebrae. This? He asked, it. he asked in response to her imaginary question. Oh, don't mind this, it's just a quirk. Her eyes were closed anyway. The coil snaked out, circling his head in a squirming halo. You might feel a slight prick, he murmured and giggled, letting three of them slither down and trace their soft tips over her body until they found a strong vein. A small stab brought an ooze of deoxygenated blood, dribbling from the puncture, dark and slow. The tendrils converged, slurping a taste and withdrew. Ricky smacked his other mouth, tasting it. Shit, yeah, you are a bit far gone. The tendrils began to secrete their mucus, snail silver, the halo stretching into a canopy and dribbling down onto her skin. She was still breathing, but barely. We'll wrap you up, he advised, and maybe we'll call a doctor in. A real one, not one of your regular GPs. There were dust sheets draped over ghosts of furniture, so he whipped one away from the old, damp-riddled piano and bundled her up. Carrie was floppier now, more of a dead weight. The dust sheet was soaked through with sticky silver. Let's lie you down somewhere better, Ricky muttered, scooping her up with a practised lift. You'll be right as rain. Don't lie, he reprimanded himself. Don't say things like that. She whimpered, surprising him. She was heavier than Gerald, but not by much. Ricky rubbed the part of her back he could reach. Easy now, he muttered again, soothing, almost expecting her to smell of donkey hide. We'll patch you up. Don't you worry.
Thanks for listening to this chapter of The Crows. Um, the tune was by Gemma Cartmel. Illustrations in the ebook and paperback are by Tom Brown. If you want to read ahead, um, do buy the book. <laughs> there are two extra illustrations in the paperback compared with the ebook. See you next week.